You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. You know what I always wanted in my classroom, Michael? Um, a self-sharpening pencil sharpener. I didn't think you were going to guess. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. I don't know, but that seems interesting. We should invent that. Um, no, as a history teacher, what I really wanted was a time machine. And don't we all? I mean, we kind of got oh, yeah. teased. We saw Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure as kids. And then as a teacher, how do you get that out of your mind? Like, I want to take kids back to, you know, the historical events. I wanted to take them to the Constitutional Convention, or I want to take them to these big moments in history. Yeah, so I thought a lot about this, um, so much about this. And so I realized that every time that I go back, I could change time, which could definitely be a problem, particularly because I'm a teacher. So if I go back and then try to teach, I might have altered time. So I don't actually know exactly what the, you know, uh, content is. So I might actually be a terrible teacher, because I'm a time traveler. And then you may not exist. This is the back to the future, basically, lesson we learned. Back to the future pointed that out, that we changed That's something in the past. That's what frightens me. Yeah, I so. dig it. I love the concept of traveling back in time. I just fear that I might write myself out of it or just have no idea what's going on in the present. Right, right. But that's the key is taking a picture of yourself back in the past, and you'll disappear slowly, apparently. <laughs> and then you can kind of make judgments about whether you can need to change the past back. So you, you really need that. It seems like, I, I promise to everyone, our episode today is not on time traveling. But um, being able to transcend time, while you know alluring is not realistic, but being able to transcend space, being able to, to transcend geographic space is something we actually can do, but a lot of teachers don't. You know, um, To be able to bring in people into our classrooms from around the world is possible by the invention of video conferencing. And so um, we're going to talk a little bit about um, some connections-based learning and video conferencing today, and we have a fantastic guest to do so. Um, welcome, Lee Cassell. Hi, thank did you. I, did I say it right? Yeah, I was just thinking we didn't actually talk about that. You did really well because I've learned, I've heard Lay Cassell, um, <laughs> I've heard Leah Castle, I've heard lots of different variations, and I'm I'm pretty okay with. Yeah, you did well. You did very well. <laughs> so we, we are meeting Lee for the first time, and she's going to tell us a little bit about herself. But I want to tell you a little bit how we came across Lee and some of her work. Um, I was actually writing a paper with the great um, Ken Carano, who's, over, who's out at um, Western Oregon University, does a lot of great work. And we were researching a little bit how um, educators, particularly social studies educators, but really anyone, uses video conferencing for global citizenship education. We feel like it's kind of an something that's that's been underutilized, and we wanted to see what people were doing. And so I looked all over the interwebs through the scholarly databases all over to find stuff. And there was one thing that I read that made my jaw kind of drop. And I'm going to read the beginning of Lee's blog post. I really, really love this. So this is from 2014. She wrote, This week my grade 2 class video conference with kids living in Kenya, Africa, to learn more about different communities around the world. My students have each picked a country they would like to learn more about, and I've arranged video conferences with schools in each of these countries to teach us about their people, communities, cultures, and celebrations. 
In total, we will video conference with students living in 16 different countries between now and the end of the school year. That's awesome. That's a lot. <laughs> I was just like, that's incredible because I saw like one or two people who did like a thing or two. So, Lee, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background in education and, and what you've been doing? Sure, absolutely. So I started teaching 12 years ago. Um, I, I worked actually in the, I worked in the same school for 10 years. I started out as an intermediate teacher teaching grades 7 and 8 and then uh, moved into primary just to get my feet wet with some little people and see what learning was like at that level. And when I was working with my little people in grade two, one of the um, units of study we work on is communities around the world. And for years past, I had, you know, revisited the same resource and taught my kids about a hot place and a cold place, neither of which I'd ever been to or visited. So I really didn't know anything about them. And I was kind of aching to try something new. So we had started using Skype to connect our kids with their grandparents. And so I thought, okay, well, I can see an application for this in the classroom. So to make a very long story short, I asked my kids, well, if you could learn about any place in the world, where would you want to go? And I was actually very surprised at their answer because most of them said they wanted to travel to London and not London, England. This is London, Ontario, which is about a 30-minute car ride from the small <laughs> town they live in because London, Ontario is the big city, right? It's the, the closest big city and that's all they knew. So I was expecting answers like Germany and Scotland and China and, and that's not what I got. So it made me realize how small their world is. And I wanted to ex explode that and have a chance for them to recognize that there are so many amazing places and people to experience. So we started using video conferencing technology. It was Skype at the time to connect with um, people and really children in countries around the world to actually learn not only from them, but with them. Um, we had a chance to share what it was like to live in Ontario. I mean, I have vivid memories of sending my kids outside to grab buckets of snow and bring them in while one kid put on all of the winter gear and another was building a snowman in front of the video camera. Um, you know, I had kids showing um, students in Africa, just referring to that post, what it was like to wear snowshoes and how you walk on snow with snowshoes. So being able to share what it's like to live here and also then learn what it's like to live in places around the world um, from others was it was incredible. Uh, it was really, uh, that year has forever changed me as an educator. Uh, and it didn't stop there. So recognizing that we could very easily and for free, of course, um, connect with kids in different parts of the world, I started to wonder what this might look like in science or in history uh, or in other subject areas. And there must be people who work in, you know, our everyday, everyday life that want to be involved in education, but don't have a way in and don't know how to be involved. So I extended that invitation um, to some different zoos as we were starting to learn about animals. And I heard back from a zoologist in North Carolina who said, absolutely, I would connect with your class and talk about mammals. So from there, it really snowballed. And within a year, I had decided that uh, the collection of experts I had accumulated was much too valuable to keep all to myself. So I started sharing that collection within my school board. And as that collection evolved, I founded the Digital Human Library, which is essentially the space that I know we'll, we'll come to a little bit later. So all of my work in education has really focuses on um, connection-based learning and how we can move what's happening in our classroom spaces beyond those spaces to focus on teaching and learning through relationships. So can you explain more about connections-based learning in general? Absolutely. Um, 
teaching and learning is all about relationships. And when we provide opportunities for our students to build relationships, not only with us and with kids in our own school, but within our school districts, with organizations and businesses and communities, it's mutually beneficial for everyone. Um, kids have a chance to form relationships with people um, of all different age groups. They learn to develop their communication and collaboration skills uh, above and beyond what's happening in their classroom spaces. And the benefits to organizations and experts and, and communities, our own communities and, and more global communities, is that we have the opportunity to make a difference. Um, by connecting with organizations, we learn about their needs and, and what uh, their interests are and how we can better support the work they're trying to do. And a lot of, uh, I think, the, the focus really of, of the work that I do is, is showing kids that they have a role to play in the world. And that role is all about making it a better place. And I know that sounds cliche, but kids need that, uh, need that shared explicitly and they need to understand that even someone as, as young as seven years old can make a difference to a, you know, to a group of, of children living in a community in Africa, for example. So my, my kids and I connected with that school, actually, and it was in Sierra Leone. And um, we worked with <clears throat> the kids all year. We exchanged letters. Uh, my, sorry, the kids in um, Sierra Leone actually had to walk two hours one way to an internet cafe to actually view our blog and connect with us. And we were fortunate to be able to video conference with them as well. What I later found out the following year when I went to, um, to reignite this relationship with Alazine, who is the teacher that, um, that works and, and lives in Sierra Leone, um, I never heard back and I was quite surprised because we had a fantastic year. When I followed up again a few months later, um, I, I was devastated to read the email that he sent in reply. And what I later learned was that most of the children uh, and really his greater community had all um, suffered the devastation of the Ebola virus. And most of the kids that we had worked with, unfortunately, died. And I'm sorry, I get choked up every time I tell this story. So we, having received that news, I had to make a decision about how I was going to share that because I, I decided I was going to share it. And so in conversation with the, the, the children that I had taught the year um, previous, you know, within the, that conversation, um, you know, we were crying and, and just sort of taking it in. I will never forget one of the little girls in my class. She just, out of nowhere, this little voice just came out and she said, you know, what are we going to do to help all of these people that are still there? And when I share this story, I always share that I, I was embarrassed to say that that wasn't my first thought. <laughs> um, I was so, I think, overwhelmed with the news. I, I I didn't really know what to do, but what I, what I really learned that day was that kids as young as seven have that, that empathy, right? And they want to make a difference and they want to contribute. It's our role as educators to, to support them and, and create those opportunities for that to actually happen. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I think part of the potential of the things that you're doing in your classes is it's creating real humanizing experiences for students. And once you create those experiences, you also come into contact with the different issues around the world that often are just background noise or a statistic on an NPR story about it, Ebola in, in Sierra Leone. And, and so um, I would assume that your students, for them, that's a life-changing, altering experience, but not just for them, but I'm sure for you, too. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's actually recognizing that there are people behind the stories. And, and you were, that's exactly what you were saying. And 
my kids ended up getting together and because of what we learned about um, the living conditions and, and, you know, just the amount of poverty in this specific uh, LACA is the community they were from, my kids decided to make posters about personal hygiene, sneezing into your arm, how to wash your hands properly because they felt that would be useful within that community to help stop the spread of the virus. So to have a group of seven-year-olds take what they learned, apply it in context in a way that was going to have a positive impact on their community I mean, I, I couldn't get over the fact that these kids are six and seven, <laughs> right? And and they really, um, they were incredible. Uh, my whole school ended up getting involved. I mean, I sent so many packages. And the letter I got from Alazine in return um, was really a, a story about how a group of grade two kids gave his his village hope. And, and that's exactly what they needed. It wasn't about the posters. It, it was, you know, it wasn't really about what we sent. It was just the fact that, these kids got together and wanted to make a difference. And like I said, that experience has forever changed me as an educator. When you set up some of these experiences, the people involved, your students, you, the other teacher, the other students, they, they on some level, I think, become the curriculum. It becomes the thing that you learn. Do, yeah. you, is, do you often organize in that way as just let's start by getting to know each other, let's learn and ask each other questions? Or do you have other um, you know, types of curricular aims that you have involved as part of it? I have two thoughts on that. There's one thought is that um, we let the connection drive the learning, which is one of the um, one of the comments that you made. And the other is that we have a very specific purpose for learning, and so we've sought out a very specific um, connection to further that learning. I know you have the digital human library. What exactly is that, and how could anyone use it? Hmm. So, um, as I mentioned, after connecting with all those kids, I started to move into a different space looking for experts and organizations, really to support me and my teaching. <laughs> um, because as elementary teachers, the expectation is, is that we know everything um, in all subject areas, which of course isn't true. We become very gener generalist teachers. So, with the movement towards inquiry-based learning, kids have some, even seven-year-olds have some really you know, um, higher order thinking questions that they want answers to that we can no longer answer. So are we sending them out onto the internet to search for those answers themselves? Or is there a better way? And I know for me, when I have a question, I go to my network. That's, that's my first go to because if I can find somebody who's an expert, and can answer that question for me, I would much rather learn in a face to face um, situation as opposed to spending my time sifting through a whole series of search results. After that year, really, of working with kids and connecting with experts, um, I took that resource list and created a library that's that's searchable. Um, so the Digital Human Library is is now a, it's a not-for-profit organization that connects educators with a specific focus on working with Canadian educators. However, it is open to educators in, in any area um, that allows you as a teacher to search the, the database of experts and request a connection and then collaborate on what, what that lesson would look like or what that conversation or Q&A or career talk, whatever you want that to be. The whole point is that it's collaborative. So I'm, I'm not, you know, requesting a, a cookie cut program that is, you know, about this specific topic geared toward any audience at any age level. I want it to be an authentic conversation. Um, and some programs are delivered, but again, you know, grades specific, audience specific, um, the profiles within the library are very detailed. So it's just a matter of you logging in, searching by keyword and figuring out who it is you'd like to connect with and then moving forward with the connection. So how do the humans make their way into your digital library? I mean, how do, how do you find these people? 
I just beam them in. <laughs> I use that time machine you referenced earlier. <laughs> um, I, for the most part, I outsource experts for the library in all curriculum subject areas to provide a sort of a balanced collection um, of resources per se. However, uh, with the rate at which the library is being used now in Canada, um, I have experts that uh, reach out to me or register with the library directly. I vet everybody coming in and coming out. Um, any new expert that registers, I always make a point of having a face-to-face conversation, usually online, just to chat about um, their organization, what their program goals are, and then they're invited to submit a blog post as well on the Digital Human Library site just to share what it is they do and what they have to offer. That's incredible. And I mean, I think it's just making those simple connections that a lot of educators struggle with. How do we find people? And there's other programs out there like ePals and some other some other organizations and places where people can find people to video conference. But basically, you've that's what you've done is created a, a, a place where people can go to find people, right? Absolutely. And I link to those existing networks that currently exist. So you had mentioned ePals. Um, there are a number of spaces that are dedicated to Skype, even in it for education, that are dedicated in connecting teachers with other teachers. Um, at the time that I started the Digital Human Library, um, nothing like nothing existed in Canada for connecting teachers with experts and organizations. In the U.S., um, you had two spaces, uh, twice.cc and um, CILC, the Center for Interactive Learning, I believe that's what it's called. Um, so there were those two spaces in the U.S. that I had come across. Um, so having having a resource that was uniquely Canadian was important to me. Not that there isn't huge overlap in terms of what you're doing with Common Core in the U.S. and what we're doing here in Canada with our curriculum by province. So there is a lot of overlap. But again, I wanted something that was that was uniquely Canadian. Well, um, so could you kind of walk us through, like, if somebody wanted to get started using the Digital Human Library or just in general kind of trying to find people to bring into their classroom, um, how, what, what are the steps that you would tell them they need to take to kind of make it simple? All they have to do is visit um, digitalhumanlibrary.com and click on the register tab, which is uh, right on the home page, and they can complete the quick registration form. It is free. And once they've done that, I do um, read through all the res- registration forms that come in. And once I've approved your profile, you are set to log in and start searching and connecting right away. Do the actual interactions take place through Skype and are like you know usernames um, provided through, through the D- Digital Human Library? Uh, So within the profile, each expert would indicate their preferred method of connecting. So now with, you know, a variety of free platforms to choose from, organizations are, are, you know, more or less offering a variety of different connection options. So Skype, Google Hangouts, uh, some, a lot of organizations are moving to cloud-based platforms like Zoom. That's a very popular one being used now. So it's really up to the organization and the teacher to determine which platform is going to work best for them and then they can move forward there. So there, the library is essentially just that. It's a library. Any connections that happen, happen outside of that space between the teacher and the organization or the expert. So I'm right now. We're talking about Versailles uh, in Louis the Fourteenth, <laughs> which is well. I I think it's fantastic. Uh, how could I uh, connect someone to my class? Well, there's actually a number of resources you could take advantage of in the library. Um, the Digital Human Library also hosts the largest collection of multimedia educational virtual tours on the web. So, if for example, sorry, where is the story taking place? Uh, Versailles in Paris. Okay. In France. Well, it's actually, um, 
great that it's in Paris, France, because in Paris, France, there are live cameras set up. So you could actually see, your students could actually see what's going on in Paris in real time right now. So that's one resource that you could take advantage of. Um, following that, uh, I'm trying to think of what experts I could connect you with in the library. Um, there are some really interesting experts listed with the Memory Project Speakers Bureau, as well as Passages to Canada. And my suggestion would be Passages to Canada. So Passages to Canada is an organization that um, encourages people who are new to uh, Canada and the United States specifically Canada, but some U.S., to share their stories of what it was like coming to Canada. So maybe connecting with someone who lived, uh, who lives in Paris, who has immigrated here might be an option. Um, as far as history, I have some history professors. I have some, I don't know, you have to give me a little more context for the work that you're doing, and I might be able to provide you with some more ideas. <laughs> oh, this is just more of a hypothetical. It's what I'm covering yes. right now. Um, yes, yes. Not in my wheelhouse. No, but actually, you've done a really great job. Feel like yeah, this. that's incredible. I feel like I'm like, I want to meet someone on the other side of the world who is left-handed and speaks this language. And Lee like has an answer to that. Um, <laughs> They're sinister. <laughs> could you tell, like, what are some common problems that people run into? And then also some common advice you might give for having successful experiences? Those are good questions. Um, really, most of the problems that uh, teachers will run into happen in their own schools, on their own networks. Uh, I think some of the biggest challenges they face are having um, the different applications or software loaded onto their computers so they can actually have a video conference. I know one of the issues here in Ontario with certain boards is that they are locked down <laughs> by IT and they have to submit a ticket and when IT gets around to it, they come out to the school and okay, we've got this installed for you, but you know, that, that's one of the most common challenges. Also having um, a really good internet connection. You need to have, uh, you know, a significant amount of bandwidth in order to be able to um, host a video conference and have it run smoothly without any lags in audio or video. So one tip that I could offer um, all users of video conferencing tech is to be plugged into the internet. You need a hardline connection. Um, Wi-Fi is, is definitely, as soon as you move into a wireless connection, you run the risk of having a shoddy connection. And for the, anyone who's ever been in a video conference where the video or the audio wasn't great, audience becomes disengaged like just like that. So um, it is really important to have that hardline connection. Um, what was your follow-up question? Um, just any advice you have for having successful experiences. An open mind, really. I, I think, um, so for example, you know, art teachers contact me all the time and, you know, we're looking for artists. And searching the library using the term artist is going to give you a very specific set of search results. But if you search art, for example, you might find that there is a robotic art teacher. So you could actually learn um, art through studying robotics. And what an interesting connection to your math program and, and just the integrated learning that's happening in your space. So getting creative in your thinking about who you might invite in, because, you know, when I think space, I want an astronaut. Well, who else within that big topic of space might you connect with that, you know, would be of interest to your students. Not everyone can be an astronaut, but, you know, I have an expert who works on Boeing airplanes. We have the McDonald Observatory, so you could actually see planets, uh, you know, astronomers. I have uh, a planetary scientist who specializes in Mars. So there's, you know, searching astronauts is only going to give you astronauts, right? But there are so many other options. So starting to really think creatively um, about 
what kind of relationships you could uh, start to develop between students and, and experts, um, you know, that, that would really amplify your classroom program. I'm really impressed with, with mm. everything that you've done. I mean, it's an amazing um, resource for teachers. And I love that it came from a teacher. You know what I mean? Yep. I think <laughs> I think that makes the world a difference. We've got a lot of people marketing products at us, but when it comes from teachers, um, they understand why we want it. You know what I mean? And I think you you really have created something valuable. So good work. Keep it up. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, you know what? I I firmly believe that learning is all about our ability to build relationships and, and be a part of, you know, all of those relationships in a meaningful way. And this is just... This is just one way to go about doing it. And, you know, we're also teaching our kids how to network, which today is a life skill, a very, very important life skill. So I, I think there's, um, it's all good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, Michael and I, I think we try to, we kind of live by that too. You know, we're connected from the SS Chat Social Studies Network and, and, and um, doing this podcast, it's all, that's what it's all about is kind of continuing to learn from educators. Absolutely. So again, thank you so much for, for coming on, Lee. Um, we absolutely appreciate it. And I feel like I've learned quite a bit. Well, thank you. I appreciate it being here. So where can our listeners find you and your work online? Uh, you can follow me at Lee Castle or at DHLEDU. Uh, you can visit the Digital Human Library website at digitalhumanlibrary.com. I'm also on Facebook at Digital Human Library. Yeah, I'm, if you Google me, you'll find me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I found you. That's right. So one of the ways you can support the Digital Human Library would be to consider how you yourself could contribute as an expert. There are so many jobs out there that, that are being done by people like you, and looking at your own network, ask. Take the time to ask, you know, is that something you could do to uh, to work with kids, connect with kids? There really isn't an expectation with regards to the, the amount of time you commit. Um, even being available for a handful of, of connections a year would benefit so many kids and so many educators. So hopefully you'll consider um, joining the team. Thanks again for joining us today. And uh, we do hope to continue this discussion online and in other spaces. Wonderful. Thanks for having me. If you would like to write us a five-star review, then we will read it on the air. And we have one to read, don't we, Michael? We do. I'm going to read one of them because there are a few. Dan and Michael bring experience from both K-12 and university perspective. Dan is a professor working with pre-service teachers. That's you. And Michael is a classroom teacher. Their guests reflect this balance. The best thing about Visions of Education is that each episode focuses on one big idea – it might be about assessment or engagement or how to teach politics. This lets you pull in from a menu of topics in their backlog, and you can absolutely check out our backlog at iTunes. I would like to thank um, Michael's mother for writing that one. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Who wrote that? Quinn Rollins. Uh, former guest. Friend of the show. <laughs> All former guests should leave us a review. So thank you so much for listening to the podcast. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Kretka. And I'm at 42 Think Deep. Until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast signing off. <laughs> <laughs>